Well, hello, everybody. Great to see you. Good to have the opportunity to dig into God's Word today as we continue on in our sermon series, What's the Point? We've been in this for a little while. We've got a few weeks left, and, and uh, I've been enjoying this a whole lot. I hope you've been gaining something out of this as well. Welcome to those of you who are present in the room that I'm in at the moment. Welcome to those of you who are in other rooms or other places as well. Glad that you are listening in, tuning in. For those of you in Classic, welcome to you. So thankful for Dave, who uh, week by week gives leadership over there and hosts that room. Thank you so much, Dave, and, and uh, for that uh, venue. Also on the Moon Campus, welcome to you guys. Good to be talking to you. So thankful for Gary, who is giving uh, leadership right now and uh, doing a great job there as well. So that's excellent. And for whoever's giving leadership in your house right now, maybe you're there alone, welcome to you. Maybe there, you're there with a family, and uh, it's good to have you together with us as well as we take a look at this topic we are addressing today. Today we're going to be talking about things that are out of your control. Things that are out of your control. I got to thinking about that, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. You can't control your past. You can't control the weather. You can't control when you were born. You can't control where you were born. You can't control the family that you were born into. Not that anyone would if they could, right? You can't control what other people do. You can't control what other people think. You can't control what other people say. But wouldn't you like to be able to control what other people say? Wouldn't you like to be able to control how much they say or get some people to stop talking? Wouldn't you like that if you could do that? Well, it turns out that now, now you can. It, it, it's true. The Navy has developed a new weapon. And what it does is it stops people from talking. I'm not, I'm not messing with you here. That's absolutely true. It's called Acoustic Hailing and Disruption, or AHAD. It was developed in a Navy facility in Indiana. Now, why they have a Navy facility in Indiana, I've got no idea. But I do know that they have made this weapon. And the device works by instantaneously recording a person's voice while they're speaking and then broadcast it right back to them. They're the only person who can hear it, but they broadcast it right back to them at a little bit of a delay. And it just disorients them so much that they stop talking. Think about that. How many of you would like to own one of these devices, right? Absolutely. I think we'd all want to own one. Of the, think of all of the applications for that. I mean, you could have it under your desk at work, and the boss walks in, and you push the button, and he's going to give you a new assignment he wants you to do, and all of a sudden, he just stops talking, and he leaves. That'd be great. Or your professor that just drones on and on. Or how about... How about Uncle Carl at the Thanksgiving dinner table who gets on his soapbox? It's like, let's push that button and stop. Or how about during a sermon? I think that we could probably make a mint just selling these on the way into the auditorium so that you could take them and point them at one another who are talking while I'm trying to preach. Yeah, what were you thinking you'd use it for? Yeah, so there, there are all kinds of things, it turns out, that we really don't have any control over. As much as we'd love to be able to control somebody else's speech, I don't think that the Navy, the military, is going to be giving that over to us anytime soon. And so we're just going to have to let that be another of the things that's out of our control. 
And there are a lot of them. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. The things that are out of your control is what this message today is going to be all about. So, in recent weeks, we've been taking a look at a very down-to-earth and up-to-date book called Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is our author, and he's a guy who's been processing his way along through circumstances in life, and he's been trying to find meaning and trying to find purpose, and he's been struggling with that a great deal, and he keeps coming back to this idea that everything is vanity, everything is meaningless, because he can't figure it out. But as we've made our way along, we come to discover that he discovers God, and that makes a ton of difference in his life and in his perspective. But even that revelation doesn't answer all of his questions. Not by a long shot, actually. You see, maybe you've had that same experience. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I'm one who is a follower of God, absolutely. But there are some things that still don't quite add up or don't completely make sense for you and you're trying to process your way through. Or maybe you're here today and you're one who's been who is wanting to try to turn some corners in your life and you're hoping that that God might be an answer to some of the questions that you're asking. Whichever side you're coming at it from, we're glad you're here and I believe that this passage is going to speak into our circumstance, whichever side we come at it from and offer us something that's helpful to gain some perspective that we might be missing out on otherwise. So, as I said, today we're going to be talking about things that are out of your control. And having things out of our control, is that not one of the most difficult things for us as Americans? Aren't we people who love to be in control? Don't, aren't the things that are, are very much high on our priority list, things like autonomy and being self-directed and being able to decide what's going to be a part of my life and what's not, and, and things going out of control are things that really start to throw us off of our equilibrium. And it's great while that works, while we're in control, but eventually we brush up against something that's outside of our control, and it can very much throw us off of our game. And how we respond to those circumstances when we don't have control actually says a lot about what has control over us. So we're going to consider this today. Solomon lived like a guy who loved to be in control too. So when there were things that denied him that possibility, it caught his attention. And today we're going to see a few different areas where he finds himself very much out of control. And we're going to see these in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And I'd invite you to go ahead and turn there to this passage, Ecclesiastes 8. You can find this right after Psalms and Proverbs or before Isaiah, before Jeremiah, those big books. You can find it kind of sandwiched in there. And uh, this is what we're going to be looking at together today. And what we're going to see are some areas where Solomon finds himself out of control. And interestingly enough, there are things, there are areas where we can also have this same sort of struggle looking at these categories and find ourselves out of control in the same way that he was. So it speaks very much into where we are today. And as he gets started, he actually gives us this transitional verse in verse 1 of chapter 8, which bridges the gap between chapter 7 and chapter 8. Take a look at what he writes here in the first verse. He says, Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Solomon is saying that wisdom is actually a commodity that causes a person to stand out as they're navigating their way through life. 
And we perhaps know some people like that. They come into a situation or a circumstance, and it's a difficult one. And it's one that perhaps has sort of thrown us for a loop, but somehow they're processing it and navigating it in a way that demonstrates that they have, they have a special sort of control, a special sort of understanding. And Solomon would call that wisdom. We can call that wisdom being applied. And that's what we see happening here or what he is talking about for us here. Whether they're encountering challenge or hardship or stress or or pleasure, they've got this way of maintaining perspective and responding in a way that leads them to success instead of to strife just being magnified and compounded in their life. And he says that wisdom can be seen in a person's countenance, actually. It can be seen on their face. You can just see the peace and contentment in them over against maybe the anxiety that we would be feeling inside as we operate apart from that. And all of that is going to prove very useful because there are plenty of circumstances that Solomon faced, that we face also, that are going to threaten our joy, that are going to threaten our peace. There are things that are out of our control. And when they're, out of, when they're in our control, we can handle ourselves. We can process those just fine. But how do we approach those things that we don't have control over when all of a sudden they spring up in our life and we need to respond? What are we going to do? How are we going to act? Well, he brings up a few of these different areas. We're going to look at them because we face them too. We can see how he handles it or how he advises it be handled and learn from that. So, the first of those things that he identifies that's out of our control is authority. Authority. We are all citizens of a nation. And as citizens of a nation, we have responsibilities. There are things that are expected of us. There are laws that we are to follow. There are leaders that we are to follow as well. And those leaders are the authorities that Solomon has in mind here as he gets into this passage with us. And he gives us some advice for how to interact. Let's look at this. Verse 2. Let's pick it up there. Chapter 8, it says, Obey the king's command. I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his commands will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? Now it's interesting, as he writes this, there's this, there's this undertone going on in these verses that this, that this leader, that this authority, that this king is one who isn't a very godly person or if there even is God in his life, that he's not acting in a very godly way. And that's helpful to understand here, that this is the kind of way we can understand the context of what he's, what he's writing. It's helpful because it seems that more and more people have complaints about those who are in authority. Don't know if you've noticed that or not. It would be great if we agreed with every proposal, with every decision that someone who's an authority over us ever brought forward, whether that be someone on the local level or on the national level, whether that would be a parent, maybe that would be an employer. It would be great if we agreed with all of those decisions, but oftentimes we don't. And so the question becomes, when we don't agree, how do we handle ourselves? And the truth is that we don't always handle ourselves very well when we come into those sorts of 
circumstances, like the woman named Marie in Jacksonville, Florida. She happened to see an ad that her company was running in the newspaper for a job that was just like hers. And so she assumed that the company was going to be firing her. So in her anger and her revenge, she went, it was an architectural company, she went and she deleted the files and the drawings and the blueprints of all of these different clients totaling uh, a value of about two and a half million dollars. And so, of course, the company figured out who did that, and they fined her, and they also fired her. The ironic thing being that they weren't replacing her. Her job wasn't on the line. That's not what the ad was about. So, there's an example of how you shouldn't respond in that kind of a context or when you disagree, but how should you respond? That's what Solomon is getting at here. And the first words off of his pen are to obey because we have a responsibility before God. This is an Old Testament parallel to verses you might know from the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is speaking on this same topic. And we read about that in Romans chapter 13. And here's what Paul writes there. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been given by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. It's very interesting that God chose Solomon, the wisest guy ever in the Old Testament, and the Apostle Paul, the most prolific author and most dynamic servant ever in the New Testament, to come and bring forward this same word of advice for us. They're both people who came up against authorities that were very much opposed and and created very challenging circumstances for them, yet they both come to the place where they give the same message that we need to obey those who are in authority. Even though they had such challenges with them, that's what their common message is. Why? Because they know that those authorities have been instituted by God, that they've been placed there intentionally, established by God, so they know that to obey the ruler is to obey God. And that's something that they very much want to do. Of course, the question is always raised, do I have to obey the authority in everything that they command? And it's a good question because we know of circumstances, certainly that are written out in the Scriptures for us, where there are people who did not obey the king's command or the ruler's command or the emperor's command, and they were spoken of or are spoken of highly in the Scriptures. You've got people like the Hebrew midwives, or Rahab, or you've got Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. You've got Peter, and they're being disobedient. Why? Because they've been told to go murder, or they've been told to dishonor God. And they're like, no, I won't do that. So Peter is told, you can't preach anymore in his name. And he responds, a rather famous verse there in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than human beings. And there are times when, when people are commanded to do evil or to blaspheme, and it very much is right to stand against those orders, to stand against those things that we're told to go and do. And it's not hard to imagine that circumstances are going to be happening such in our world 
in our nation where there are going to be more and more things that are going to be coming up that are going to be demanded of people that are going to stand or going to be more and more in opposition with what God is calling his people to go and do. So it could very well be that we're going to be moving into circumstances and days when there's going to be more and more of a need for those who are followers of Christ to stand up for Christ rather than follow after the the dictum that is put out there by others, by leaders, by authorities. And when those days come, we need to be prepared. And knowing that those days likely will be coming and very likely will be increasing, where we're going to face it much more than we have up to this point in life, since we know that, we can be preparing now. So how do we prepare now? Well, we're given some advice on that topic as well. One of the things that we should do that's incumbent upon us is to pray. That's a way to prepare. Before we take steps of civil disobedience, we should be preparing ourselves earnestly and praying earnestly for the circumstance and for, and for the person or the people who are going to be making those decisions and directives, if we believe they are, we should be praying for those people. We should be praying for the decisions that ultimately are going to come down from them, maybe not knowing right now what they're going to be. We're called to that also in in the New Testament. That's what it asks of us. I urge then, first of all, this is Paul again, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. That that's the goal he has for us. That we live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We need to be praying for all those in authority that their hearts might be softened to the ways of God. That they might actually have success in leading a nation, in leading a community, whatever their realm happens to be in a way that would be in keeping with what God would desire for them. Even if they are not what we might think of as a believer in Jesus Christ on their own, it doesn't mean that God can't use them. And as we pray, or that they wouldn't necessarily make decisions that are actually in keeping with what God's wisdom would be. And we need to be praying for that outcome instead of assuming a different one. So we can pray. Another thing that we can do to prepare ourselves for potential conflict is by growing in wisdom. That's what Solomon's getting to here. In these verses, and in verse 3 and following, he's giving us some examples of things we can do that would demonstrate wisdom. For instance, he says here, don't hurry to leave the king or the leader, the authority's presence, failing to listen to what they have to say. It's rude. It's turning your back on the one in authority, which is very much apart from honoring the authority established by God. He also suggests here, he says, that uh, you should not stand for a bad cause, which could mean to not just take an opposing position because it's the opposing position and you want to stand in opposition. Look for common ground where it can be found. Work toward a solution. If you're always going to be disagreeable just because there are some things that you disagree on, you're just inviting the entire experience to be a battle back and forth, which is going to take from you the ability to have influence in the greatest areas, which are faith and Christ. We want to be sure we don't lose that opportunity. See, there are times when wisdom may mean leaving a matter in God's hands when it comes to authority. Nothing is outside God's knowledge. Nothing is outside God working it toward justice. As Solomon goes on in verse 8, he writes, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. He's talking about the, the wicked person here. 
As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. This, this, there is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Talking again about that wicked leader, as it were. Sometimes it's best to leave things in God's hands. If you find that the issue of dealing with authority is creating you a heart and creating in you a heart of resentment, a heart of anger, that's what's stirring up in you, a heart of rebellion and revenge. God may be using Solomon to tell us the wisdom might be to make sure that we first of all get our heart clear and then respond accordingly. It doesn't mean we stop caring, but we make sure that we have a perspective that isn't derailing our own relationship with God and with others because that's paramount. And if we allow other things to swirl to such a degree that we now are out of step with where God would have us to be, then we need to do that examination in our own heart, settle that first, and then move our way forward as we believe God is leading us. That can take a long way, that can take us a long way when certain things like authority are out of our control. That's what Solomon's telling us. He goes on then, he says, well, there's another thing that's out of control as well, and he turns our attention now to inequity. He says there are things there that are also out of your control. This is something that's been on Solomon's mind for a while now. We saw it back in chapter 7. He wrote very much the same thing he's about to write here. Here's the way he put it back in chapter 7, and, and if we can pop that up there, we'll see it. All right. There we go. In this meaningless life of mine, this is verse 15, chapter 7, I have seen both of these, the righteous, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. He's saying that's inequitable. That's unfair. And then he comes and he brings that same point back home again now in our passage in chapter 8, which is verse 14, in our passage saying essentially the same thing. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve says this too, I say, is meaningless. Now, Solomon's complaint here that he's making is a very common one. It might be one that you've had. It's certainly one that, that I've had along the way. Why is it that evil seems to prosper when good struggles? just doesn't seem right. Why should it be that there is a business that operates in procedures that are outside of God's will that thrives while churches are closing their doors? It doesn't seem right. Why is the person who cheats at school and gets an A on their test when you hold to integrity and you get a C. Why is it that there are some people who execute unethical approaches in the work environment and they get promoted while you get stuck right where you were all the way along? It's just not fair. On top of that, it's not right. And when it persists and when it touches your life or your family, it can create a real crisis of faith. And you probably know some people who are on the outside of spirituality looking in or not looking in at all because they've washed their hands of it because of these sorts of circumstances. And it might be something that troubles you deeply in your own spirit as well. It certainly is something that, that brings questions to all of our minds. It's hard to get a sense of all of that which is happening around us. And that's what makes Solomon's response here so interesting. Because he's complaining about this inequity. As much as anybody else does. As much as you do, as much as I do. He's just brought it out. Why do the wicked thrive when the righteous don't? 
It just isn't right, he's saying over and over again. He says he brings it again here in this verse. And then surrounding this verse, though, it's fascinating what he says. Knowing that that's sort of the central place where his heart is, look at some of these other things that he says then. In verse 10, for instance, it says, Then too I saw the wicked buried. That doesn't sound good. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. Here's what's happening. He's reminding himself and others of people who looked like they were being lauded and applauded because they were so righteous when they weren't really righteous at all. But Solomon says, I guess they weren't getting away with it after all. In fact, he says, I saw them being carried out to be buried. God was not ignorant. God was not indifferent, he's saying. Even though that's the way it kind of looked to me for a while, he wasn't. These people all got what they deserved. You like it when people get what they deserve, don't you? I do too. I love it when they get what they deserve, which is why you will like the story of Frank Cortai. He's a 72-year-old man who was at home when a burglar broke into his house with a knife to rob him. But here's the thing. Mr. Cortai was a former boxer. And so what ended up is that the guy with the knife ended up fleeing from the house with a black eye and a bloodied face. He got what he deserved. We love it when that happened. And so does this guy here that Solomon is talking about. That's his whole point. He goes on. He says more about him in verse 11. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. This is the next thing that happens. Solomon's way of saying that we, when we don't agree with God's timetable for justice, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and take care of it ourselves and go ahead and be the ones to execute the judgment, wondering when God's ever going to get around to it. And the thing that he calls that is or are schemes to do wrong. The ones who feel that we have been wronged all of a sudden are the ones who are doing wrong. Solomon says, don't fall into that trap. Why? Because God's got it under control. Goes on, verse 12. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. It's easy to look at life and look at the people who are around us and we see somebody from the outside and we make assumptions that we know what's going on on the inside. It looks to us like everything is going so well for them in their life. It's like that's sort of the conclusion we come to, that they're thriving, that they're soaring in their own individual life. That's what Asaph thought also. We read about a circumstance in Psalm 73. Here's what Asaph, Asaph had to say. He said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. They're free from common human burdens. Which makes absolutely no sense at all that they'd be free from common human burdens. They weren't. But it's the sort of thing that we spin up. The thing that we get worked up about because it looks like everything's so good for them. And we just make the assumption that it is. And we go with that. Solomon says, don't, don't, or Asaph was having that particular problem. We cry foul when we see things 
or think we see things so clearly that we have sufficient moral high ground to call out God, to call out others as well. That's what Asaph thought. But then he gets a glimpse of the way that things really were. He gets a peek behind the curtain and look at what he writes with that in mind. He wrote, this is toward the end of that psalm now when he's gone through all this process. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. In other words, he's saying, when it looked to me like everything was unfair, like everything was unjust. He said, I was senseless and ignorant. When I thought that this is the way that it was, when my spirit was so worked up because everything is so unfair, he realizes I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Penetrating perspective. We can get really worked up and feel all sorts of pity for ourselves. We can feel grieved and embittered. The words that Asaph used about himself. But as he says, that's not standing up for my own rights. That's just ignorance. The truth is that we don't know what all God is doing behind the scenes. But Solomon tries to help us out by saying that he has the righteous, he has the wicked, all in mind. God does. He understands the righteous. He understands what's going on with the wicked. And that he's not going to allow things to unfold in ways that are outside of his purview. This guy is not going to, the way that Solomon puts it, have His shadow lengthened. In other words, live longer. Even though that's the thing that he very much longs to have because it's the only thing the wicked guy has. It's the only thing that he can hope for is a longer life because he's certainly not hoping for anything beyond the grave. He's really quite in a stuck position. And there's no real positive outcome for him. And Solomon's saying, saying, I'm recognizing that now. And though it looked like the one who treats others with inequity. It looks like there's inequity between me and between him. I guess it's not really the way that it looked like to me all that time. God has determined what their end will be. So Solomon doesn't want our days to be poisoned by getting worked up about things that we just misunderstand. Instead, he brings us back to the same formula he's given us now four different times in Ecclesiastes. This particular time in chapter 8 comes in verse 15. Look at it. It says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them all their toil, in their toil, all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Now, that is not the fatalistic, secular, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. This is a recognition that God has justice and righteousness in His sights. It may seem to delay from our point of view while God is being patient as He pours forth His grace, as He pours forth His mercy in the world in which we live. And by the way, that mercy and that grace is not just for people who have yet to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. That grace and mercy is for everyone who knows Jesus. Because we need that grace, we need that mercy as a sustaining grace for all the days of our lives. And when we come to recognize what it is and what it's already done for us, we come to recognize that God has already treated us with something that's far beyond fair. 
and that we've been the beneficiaries. Sometimes it's easy to look at somebody else and think, well, they shouldn't have it. Their life isn't something that's worthy of having that sort of mercy. Well, the fact of the matter is, yours isn't either. And mine isn't either. None of us deserve any of that. And just because we might have gotten in earlier by God's grace doesn't give us any reason to call out God for the fact that He's being gracious towards somebody else on a different timetable. So He encourages us to embrace the goodness of God and to live under the settled assurance of faith in Jesus, knowing God's got it in His hands. I might not see it. I might not understand it. I might not even agree with his timetable, but what gives me the right to disagree with his timetable anyway? It's time for me to rest. It's time for me to trust, he says. Then there's one more dimension of a life that looks out of your control. That's because it's a mystery. Out of your control is authority. He says inequity. And he says there's also this mystery. Let's look at these last verses, starting in verse 16. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, basically because they're striving to take care of circumstances on their own, in their own efforts and in their own strength. People getting no sleep day and night. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. He's saying it's a mystery, but what in the world is he pointing out here? As Solomon wraps up this chapter, he again highlights wisdom. But as you can see, there's a bit of a twist that he puts on it right here. He's been speaking of how wisdom and God will set you up for success, and that's perfectly true. But here at the end of verse 8, he says wisdom has its limitations. Wisdom has its limitations. And even the wise are going to hit a roadblock along the way. That's because even the one who is wise does not possess a wisdom that unlocks all of heaven's mysteries. The wisdom that you and I are able to have in this life isn't all-knowing. It's not all-wise. That remains in the hands of God alone. What wisdom does is provide perspective. It gives the wise the ability to recognize what is out of their control instead of arrogantly thinking that they can control it or instead of beating our heads up against a wall because we can't control it. We rested in the fact that God does control it. That God is in charge. That God is working out His perfect purposes. It seems a mystery to us, but it's no mystery to Him. He's got it in His hands. For the wise, recognizing that there are things that are out of our control shouldn't be a hindrance to us fully enjoying life. It should be a catalyst for us to lean into God in whom we can find perfect peace and perfect joy and perfect fulfillment, even when things are out of our control. Even though we don't understand what's going on all around us with the authorities that are in power. 
even though we don't think that everything looks equitable one to another, even when there are mysteries we don't understand, we in faith can rest in the fact that God is in control. And that can lead us to the place of perfect contentment and perfect peace. While we wait for God to execute all that He has in store, resting in confidence that He will do that which is best. So, if you're in a place where you're feeling a bit turbulent about things that are happening around you, Solomon's word for us is to rest in God. Heavenly Father, Sometimes it's hard to rest. It is so easy to get worked up about the things that are bubbling around us, about things we see in our communities, in our nation, in our world, about things that just seem so wrong, about times when we feel like we've been treated poorly, but times when there seems to be inequity in the way that one person is treated versus another. It might not even be us. It might be that we're, we're just taking up the cause in our mind for somebody else, some other situation we see around us. And Lord, we can, we can only imagine where things are going. And most of our imagination does not point out that things look rosy. And Lord, they may not be Things may continue to move on a course that very much is apart from what our will would be, what we believe your will would be. And I pray what Solomon has to say to us would be something that would grant us perspective in the midst of the circumstances when it seems so wrong to know that it will all be made right. For it's in your hands, and you never fail. May we recognize that when we choose to take things into our own hands, when we choose to move in such a way that denies the reality that you are in control, it's really a denial of our faith, a denial of our trust in you. And Lord, for times when we've gotten to a place where, where we're so stirred up about something that it's keeping us from you, it's just creating a heart in us that is angry and bitter and demonstrating attitudes that are doing nothing to draw us nearer to you, that we would recognize that first and foremost we need to be found in you and then out of that we can have the wisdom to know how to engage beyond. So Lord, center us in you, we pray. Through the wisdom that is offered, through what Solomon has to write for us and what we see throughout your word. Lord, there are times when things are very much out of control, but may we rest that in all those times and that in all times, you are in control and we rest in you now. In the name of Jesus.